0: Well, we're going to spend a few moments now focusing in on this proverb at play today, guarding your hearts and what this means together. But you might think I've already been quite mean this morning. I've asked our children to wait patiently, to guard their hearts in a Haribo form, and then and wait to eat it. I'm about to ask you guys a mean question, a question that's rhetorical, a question that, that I gather will get you thinking. Over the last few weeks, I've been considering priorities and the challenges that we face, and the demands on our time. And I've been thinking, if my time is stretched, then potentially I need to reconsider my priorities again. So my question for you is, what is the biggest priority in your life at the moment? What is the biggest priority in your life at the moment? Because as I've studied and read around this idea of priorities, I've read that if we don't set our priorities for ourselves, then other people will set them for us. If we don't set our priorities for ourselves, then other people will set them for us. And I know over time that our priorities change, don't they? Depending on the day, depending on what's going on. Your priority might now right now might be raising your children, or working on a project at work. For me, recently, it's been finishing lots of essays to finish my first year of college. But what is true, whoever and whatever we prioritize gets our time, our attention, and our energy. And today, I think we are to give really serious consideration to this proverb that tells us to guard our hearts (coughs) For it is the wellspring of life. And as we travel through together, we'll be considering how we can make this a priority. But let's read around that verse together, shall we? By opening up Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 27. I'm going to be using quite a different, uh, a few passages of scripture today. So feel free to follow along with me, or the words will appear on the screen. But it starts by saying, My son, pay attention. To what I say. Turn your ear to my words, do not let them out of your sight, keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity, keep corrupt talk far from your lips, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Because as I've been reflecting on these verses this week, I was really struck by the imperative that we see surrounding this proverb that starts with, above all else, guard your heart. In other words, let's make this the biggest priority, the priority of greatest importance in relation to our walk with Christ. But how often in reality do we get to consider the state of our heart before God and how well we are guarding it Is this reflected in our time, in our energy, and in our week? How much time do we get to spend devoting to hearing God's voice or studying his word? Because the proverb tells us that this is a source of life for us. Other translations talk about it being a wellspring that we are to draw from. And his word brings health to our bodies. We are to fix our eyes directly ahead, like we saw Jesus do. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. We are to fix our eyes on him. And in some ways this morning, I could stop there. We could go home, because that's enough for us to be challenged by, isn't it? Where is our gaze? How is our heart? And what wellspring are we drawing from? Rich in challenge for us. But we're going to spend a few moments thinking about Saul. Almost doing a character study on his life, on his leadership, and on his heart. And we're going to consider almost Saul's life as a warning of kind of where it went wrong. The perils if we don't guard our hearts. As we kind of think about what heart and soul care looks like. But when we think about the life of Saul, before he was anointed To be king what do we know about him we know about samuel quite a lot don't we and we learn about hannah's yearning to have children and how she dedicates her son's life samuel to the priesthood and the service of others we know samuel to mean in hebrew god has heard god heard hannah's cry he was an answer to prayer and then samuel grows up doesn't he under eli's care And he judges Israel really well, and he saves them from the Philistine and leads the nation back to God. But when he grows older in age, facing retirement, and to use Luke's phrase, because he's not here today, is there such thing as retirement in the kingdom of heaven? There's a predicament. What is to come next? And the nation is calling for a king. They don't want to be judged anymore. They want to fit in with the other nations around them. They forget that they are a chosen nation called to be different to the other nations and called to live under the kingship of God, yet they demand a king. And eventually, God tells Samuel to anoint Saul. And we know that Saul is a skillful, successful soldier. And we're introduced to Saul because he is on a mission to find his father's (coughs) lost donkeys. And he's out looking with his group of servants and eventually, one of his servants says, perhaps we should return home because your father doesn't want missing donkeys and a missing son. But one of them says, I think we should go to the nearby town and find the man of God referring to Samuel and asks for his direction as to which path to take home. And as many divine kind of meetups in scripture, the Lord had prepared Samuel That Saul was to find him. The day before, the Lord said to Samuel, About this time tomorrow, I will send a man to you, anoint him, and he will be the leader over Israel. And we read in this account in 1 Samuel, again thinking that Samuel means God has heard, that God says, I have looked upon my people and their cry has reached me. And I love that line. We worship a God this morning who hears our cry and responds. But we're going to pick up this story in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 1 to 9, and think about Samuel's anointing, and specifically what happens to his heart. Let's read together. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying... Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin and they will say to you, the donkeys you've set out to look for have now been found and now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He's asking, what shall I do about my son?' Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will go to Gibba of God, where there is a Philistine outpost, As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high places with lyres and timbrels and pipes and harps, harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hands find to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of Gilgal, and I will surely come to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you, and I will tell you what you are to do. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. I love scripture because it's so detailed, isn't it? But here we see Samuel anointing Saul, and what's really significant as we study together a theme of guarding our hearts this morning is to see what happened to Saul's heart. Firstly, I think that we see that the Holy Spirit is the one that transforms our hearts. Normally when I preach, I try and build up to a bit of encouragement at the end, but today we're starting with it. It's the Holy Spirit that transforms our hearts. The Spirit of the Lord was promised to come powerfully upon Saul. And it was promised that he would be changed into a different person. It's the same spirit that transforms and is at work in our lives today. And then we see this follow-up line that says, Once this has happened to you, Saul, once you have been filled with the Spirit, you will be equipped to do practical things. Do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. And again, I found that really noteworthy because often we are really quick to respond with our hands. Maybe it's just me. I've said before, I'm a practical person. I'll be the first person to respond, to offer, to help. But what do we see? First comes calling, anointing, intimacy with God, character and heart transformation, and then comes service we are equipped to do the works of God with God's blessing. God is interested in our hearts. He anoints Saul, propels him to be at work with his Holy Spirit, and then he is equipped to serve. But in verse 8, we see an instruction given to Saul from Samuel. "'Go ahead of me. I will surely come to you to sacrifice the burnt offering, but you must wait seven days for me to come.' And I will tell you what to do. And I'm kind of going to leave that hanging for us this morning, because for those of us that know our scriptures, you know what's coming next. What is Saul's peril, if you like, that he failed to follow Samuel's instruction? But what I find fascinating for us is verse 9. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed his heart. Where it says that God changed his heart in verse 9, but the Hebrew literally means God replaced his heart with another heart. A heart that would enable him to lead a nation. God almost gave him a heart replacement, a heart transfer, there and then in that moment. A spiritual conversion, if you like. A consecrated moment where God sealed his blessing and anointing with a new heart and transformed it by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that transforms us. The same Spirit that is at work renewing and restoring us here transformed Saul's heart. I find that a great encouragement. I can hear, almost, the prophecy in Ezekiel ringing in our ears. I will give you a new heart and I put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. But if we study further together the character of Saul, we will see how he failed to live by the wisdom that we're studying this morning. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Let's fast forward a little bit to an encounter that we see at Gilgal, where Saul disobeys God. And as we do, I want us to ask the question together, where did it go wrong for Saul? Where does it go wrong for us at times? And how and where did his leadership crumble? So we're going to flick forward to 1 Samuel chapter 13 and read from verses 5 to 15 together to study where it went wrong for Saul. It reads, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and in cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. But Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him, quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings, and Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. "'What have you done?' asked Samuel. Saul replied, "'When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me and I have not sought the Lord's favor.' So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering." You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and has appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command." Then Samuel left and went up to Gibeah in Benjamin, and Saul counted the men that were with him. They numbered about 600. You can feel the panic, can't you, from the scene that's been set. The Israelites saw that their situation was pretty critical. They were hard-pressed. They hid. They fled. They, They hid to caves and pits and rocks. The troops were quaking with fear and all eyes were drawn to the leader who waited the seven days that Samuel told him to wait. But when his company and men began to scatter, he broke, he caved, he gave in and he began to sacrifice before the Lord. And you could say he did a good thing. He didn't rush ahead and went to battle anyway He did offer a sacrifice before the Lord, but he overstepped his mark. He overstepped the boundaries of his remit. Rather than waiting for Samuel, who was a priest, to offer the sacrifice before the Lord, he went on himself and did it anyway. And this was against God's law and against the specific instruction that Samuel had given Saul when he was anointed to be king. What do we see this morning? I think we see that pressure reveals our character. It's in those moments when we are under pressure that our spiritual character is revealed. And we each have different pressure points, don't we? For some, maybe it's our children when they ask the same question again and again and again. Finally, we might break. For some of us, it's road rage. It's idiotic drivers that make us, like, flip. For some of us, it's deadlines, it's people, it's change. Whatever pressure it might be, pressure reveals our character. And Saul, a leader under pressure, cracked when his people questioned him and voted with their feet and fled. I think COVID has been a time of great pressure for the church in general. That's really revealed the health of the church. Kind of the state of discipleship, potentially, in our churches. And wasn't COVID a time for us to guard our hearts? But Samuel's response to Saul was, what have you done? And you can kind of hear the exasperation in his voice. And Saul justifies his actions. He says, you're almost late and all the people have disappeared. And Samuel's response is, you have done a foolish thing. Your kingdom will not endure you have failed to keep the command that the Lord gave you. Somehow, Saul thought that he was above the need to wait for a prophet to perform a sacrifice before the Lord. And his arrogant attitude marks the beginning of the end of his leadership. And as you know the story, then Saul's continued arrogance was his downside when he failed to obey to completely destroy the Amalek army. And it was after these episodes of disobedience that the leadership of his nation was wrestled from him. He was rejected by God as his leader of his people, and God's spirit was removed from him. And we begin to see in Saul's life how he experienced serious bouts of anxiety and depression and paranoia, and later we see him so consumed with the task of killing David, the man described as a God's going after God's heart I think what's really poignant for us to ask this morning is where did Saul fail to guard his heart what can we learn from him not to point fingers but for us to pray this morning as we did at the beginning search me God and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts see if there is any offensive way within me and leads me in the way everlasting I think that one of the ways that Saul goes wrong, if you like, is linked to this idea of guarding our hearts where we need to be really, really careful about the company we keep and the influence of others. Proverbs 13, verse 20 says, "'Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, "'but the companion of fools will suffer harm.'" Samuel called Saul out for being foolish. And here we see that he is really influenced by the fear of his army, his company, and the people that he was leading. They panicked, therefore he panicked. And you can almost hear him justifying his actions in his response. And I'm kind of reminded of the echoes that we read about in the Garden of Eden, where you can hear Adam go, It was Eve. She made me do it. She's the one that led me astray. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. Part of guarding our hearts looks like being, uh, applying careful consideration to the company that we keep. And I'm not saying this morning that we are to only have Christian companions because we are called to get out of the salt shaker, to be salt and light in the world, if you like. But we need to be on guard To be alert, Peter tells us that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. Keeping company with people who are concerned about the condition of your heart, who are concerned about your spiritual well-being, your welfare and your walk with Jesus, does our heart good? The question for us to ask is where does the wellspring of your life come from? If you're an extrovert, people person, and you get energized by being around people, then we need to consider who is being a well source in your life. But it's not just about the company we keep, it's about how influenced we are by others. Here, a leader became so overcome with fear, and the whole army felt really insignificant. And that's really focused on in the passage, isn't it? How many they had in comparison to the 600 they had. But what they forget is who is on their side. They see their limited resources and panic spreads and infiltrates throughout the camp. They had lost sight of God's faithfulness. And only verses before do we see Samuel encourage them to remember the great things and the great deeds of their God. If we are to be supercritical of Saul's leadership today, then what do we see? We see pride, we see selfishness, we see self-deception, a man full of personal insecurities and low self-worth emerge after God had anointed him for works of service, after the Spirit had anointed and transformed his heart. For those of you reading along in the Bible reading plan that some of us are doing, where we're reading a chapter a day of scripture, over three years we'll read the whole entirety of the Bible, when you know, like me, that we've been reading 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel really recently. And what's really struck me is how quickly Saul's heart changes. How quickly we can let pride and jealousy and selfishness and destructive, discouraging thoughts permeate our hearts. And as we travel with this narrative, and we move a little bit further, we see how Samuel then comes to anoint David instead as king. 1 Samuel 16 talks about how Samuel almost goes through the pecking order of Jesse's sons, And the Lord makes it really clear what qualifies someone to be his servant. What he is looking for, what he is interested in, before he finds the shepherd boy, David. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not see as man does. For man sees the outward appearance, the Lord sees the heart. So where do we stand today? We see that the Lord prioritises the heart. That is what he sees. Therefore, the condition of our heart matters before God. He tells us above all else to guard our hearts. For all that we does, all that we do flows from it. It's the wellspring of our life. Saul is one example of scripture and people that we know in our lives, we've traveled with where people have stumbled and fooled, where they've let their guard down. For us today, the command is not to be guarded in a sense that we put up walls around our hearts where we never let anything in. The image I hold to when I read this proverb is from my very, very limited biology knowledge. I was always really fascinated by osmosis, how things can like magically transfer, that's not how it works, but you know what I mean, and semi-permeable membranes, where the right nutrients are let in, and the right ones are rejected. Does that make sense? The right nutrients go in, but the bad stuff is left out. And that is what I hold to, and we are called to guard our hearts. We are to let people in, we are to consider the company we keep, we are to be people that cheer each other on, that asks that question, where is your heart at today before God? We are to let God mould us and shape us and transform us by his Holy Spirit for us to be encouraged and changed and edified by the good and positive things. And as we land there, I'm reminded of what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. Part of guarding our heart looks like letting the Spirit search us, examine us, transform our lives. It looks like keeping careful watch over the company that we have, allowing people to speak into our life. And it looks like considering the good, the excellent, the lovely, the godly things and removing kind of things of the dark, the permeable membrane of letting not letting pride and jealousy and self-deception rule our lives become the thing that moves us that we react with above all else guard your heart i'm going to lead us in a prayer of examine and then we're going to invite the holy spirit to Transform our hearts this morning as we do just that, as we consider whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. If there's anything worthy of praise, we're going to respond in praise. But shall we pray together? Lord, this morning, help us above all else to put you first to be our everything, God in our living, God in our breathing. You are everything. But Holy Spirit, we welcome you this morning and we invite you to transform our hearts, to search our hearts. We recognise at times that we have left ourselves exposed. We've left our guard down to temptation to pride, to selfishness. And maybe, like Saul, we've reacted out of haste, impatience, out of fear, and we've been disobedient to you, Lord. Come this morning, reveal to us anything that you wish to be brought into the light from the dark side of each of us, from the depths of our heart, Lord, that sometimes we prefer to leave untouched. Would you reveal to us, search us, and know our hearts. Test us, and know if there's any anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way within us, Lord. Because, Lord, we declare this morning that you are faithful, you are forgiving. Help us to grasp the greatness of your love. Help us to pray honestly as we make a confession this morning to seek your forgiveness. And I'm just going to pause for a moment for us to think for ourselves if there's anything that we want to share with the Lord before we respond by thinking about things that are honourable and just and pure and lovely and sing praise to our God. But let's take a moment to reflect.